Let me invite you to open your Bible, if I may, please, to Luke chapter 19 this evening. Luke chapter 19. We have been looking at the uh, conversion of sorts from uh, the Scripture, and this one uh, is uh, Zacchaeus. And uh, in Luke chapter 19, we have this in the first ten verses. We will remind you of it, put you in mind about it. So let's read. Verse 1, 19th chapter of Luke says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. I remind you that uh, publicans were the tax collectors, and they purchased franchises. That is, uh, the Roman government would sell the right to collect taxes, and they would give you an X amount that they demanded, and anything you collected above that, you got to keep. So it became a franchise. You could, you could, uh, you could get rich in a hurry if you really gouged the people. And the Bible says in verse two that Zacchaeus was rich, and he was a chief among the publicans. So either he's a leader of them or over them, or he's uh, excelled in his success over them. One of the three. But the point is, uh, he is rich, and uh, he is in Jericho. And verse three, he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and he could not for the press, because he was of little stature. We'll get the details in a moment. Verse 4, And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. Verse 5, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up, saw him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Verse 6, He made haste, came down, received him joyfully, and when they saw it, They all murmured, saying, and they are the people who observed this happening, that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And do remember that the Jews hated the publicans and said that they were sinful. They were absolute the worst of the worst. And, uh, in fact, they did not list harlots as bad as they listed publicans. A publican was worse than a harlot, a prostitute. And so in verse number 8, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost prompted us from this uh, passage, and we'll get to the details maybe later in the message, but prompted us to uh, ask questions concerning salvation. And the last time we were together, we talked about two, and let me just refresh your mind. First off, we said that in regard to the Scripture, it's clear that all men, mankind, may be saved. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, the Bible says in verse 3 and 4, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it is true, it's clear from the Bible, that uh, all may be saved. Secondly, it is also true that uh, all will not be saved. The verse we use, and you're in Luke chapter 19, look back over six chapters to chapter 13, and look at Luke 13 and verse number 24. Luke 13 And verse number 24, the Lord is speaking a parable about the leaven, and he says in verse number 24, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not 
be able. Verse 25, when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door, ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. In other words, he, uh, he had uh, had uh, a time of a meal with them at some location sometime. He had actually sat down with them. They had to eat and drunk with him while he was there. And so the concept is that um, he had actually taught in their streets, and they remember all those occasions. Verse 7, But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not which you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. So it's quite obvious that uh, all will not be saved. And this relates to a group of people who will not be saved. And uh, they'll be cast out into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and so forth. A third thing is that uh, we were just getting to the last time we were together. The third thing, it is also clear that some will be saved when we did not expect them to be saved. In uh, verses 29 in uh, Luke chapter 13, look at chapter 13, verse 29. In that verse of Scripture, it says, And they shall come from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are, are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. It's another way of saying that there'll be a variety of people in positions and, and holding the lots in life, and people looking at him say, Oh, this guy can't be saved. He won't trust Christ as his Savior. He won't depend on the finished work of Christ. He can't be saved. But it'll be people who you would not expect who indeed will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, at this point, let me park and pull over and let me explain some things from other texts, all of them in the book of Luke. Look from where you are in chapter 13. Look over to chapter 7. Look at Luke chapter 7. Look down to verse 36. Luke 7 and verse 36. And Luke 7, 36 you have the case of uh, um, Jesus and a, and a sinner. It's chapter 7 of Luke, verse 36. The Bible says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a what? A what? I can't hear you. I'm hard of hearing. A sinner. This was not a saint. This was a sinner. This was a lost person, a person who had probably, by virtue of her being off the street, a sinner. It's a likelihood that she was either a prostitute or she was a woman of the street, which would indeed indicate that she had some way committed and was living in a state of sin. So it says when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, maybe she too, like Zacchaeus, had heard about him and wanted to see him, brought an alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake unto himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, that is Jesus Christ, if he were the real deal, he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And verse 40, Jesus answering said unto him, Remember, the Bible says, um, 
verse 39, this Pharisee spake within what? How did he speak? Within himself. That means he didn't say it out loud. He said it in his heart. He was saying, if this man who sits at my table, if he was really a prophet, he'd know full well who it is who's doing this. Suggesting Jesus is not the real deal. He's an imposter. He's not, he's not, he's not a religious man. He's not a godly man. Uh, he'd know better. And then verse 40 says, Jesus answering said unto him. Jesus answers the issue he raises that he never raised outwardly. He just raised inwardly. Which says, if you sit here this evening and you're raising some question about the Lord, oh, he already knows what you're thinking about him. He already knows what's on your mind. He already knows what's in your heart. He doesn't just know the number of hair on your head. And he doesn't just know the number of days you've got left to live. He knows what you're thinking. And he knows how you react to things of this nature and how things upset you even though you don't say anything about them. He sees into the heart. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. Verse 41. Verse 41, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. Verse 44. He turned to the woman and said unto Simon. Now look, he turned to the woman and he speaks to Simon the Pharisee. Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. And verse 46, My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are what? Forgiven. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Verse 48, And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that can or that forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. There are some people that we do not expect to be saved who will be. And it may be somebody that you've looked upon and thought, you know, one, this person can't be saved. They've got some issue and they just, they just can't relate to, uh, understand that Christ died on the cross to take away their sin and give them forgiveness of sin. They can't relate to that. So they can't, they can't be saved. That's what you think. This same Jesus Christ who looks into a person's heart and reads everything they're thinking can do whatever he wishes and whatever is his will. And he can do some things that would blow your mind and it would certainly make you wonder about people. Can this person really be saved? Sure they can. Sure they can. Years ago there was a man who was in a church. Uh, my brother pastored the church for a while, which was a free will Baptist church. Um, he had invited me to preach at the church and in that church there had been a story told about a man 
uh, that um, was having all kinds of difficulties in his life. I mean all kinds of difficulties. And uh, folks in the church prayed for him. They prayed the Lord would uh, give him clarity of mind so he could hear the gospel and he could respond to it. Um, years went by, and the man grew progressively worse. He just he wasn't getting any better. He, he was getting worse. And the people just kept praying. They wouldn't give up on the man. And one came to a point where he couldn't, uh, he couldn't hear well, and he couldn't see well. He was about to lose all the windows to his soul. And people just refused to give up. They kept praying and kept praying. And people in his own family would witness to him frequently, sharing the gospel with him. He was a rough man. I mean, uh, he lived a life of sin, and that's all he knew. And uh, little by little, the people in the church uh, began to question whether or not he was going to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day, in one service, unexpectedly to everybody else, when the invitation was given, this man got up from where he was, walked down the aisle, and uh, came then to the man who was leading the church, not my brother, but a pastor, and said to him, and communicated with him, that he wanted to be saved. And the amazing thing about it was, he could hardly hear, and he could barely see. But he came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I understand the man did not live very long after the fact, but uh, my point is that the very kinds of people that you and I would write off and say, these folks are not going to get saved. You mean, this guy, he just, no way, not just, he's just not going to do that. May I say to you kindly, but straightforwardly, you don't call the shots. He saves whom he will, and it's to be his glory. And uh, I say to you, that's, uh, that's gracious and kind. I have uh, on occasion preached at uh, the missions downtown Indianapolis, at least two of them. And over the years, I've seen people in there that I said, you know, these guys are never going to come to faith in Christ. They just aren't. They, these guys, they're so caught up in their world, they're never going to come to faith in Christ when I was a young preacher. I thought that. How wrong I was. Some of the people who back then came to the mission are now workers in leading the mission. They're the ones who are the managers. They're the folks who take over the responsibilities of it. And there are all kinds of ministries around that have that same results, where we have people who are messed up and mixed up in all kinds of sin and wickedness. And in, in the average case, folks would just turn their necks on and say, these folks don't have a prayer being saved. And this proves beyond question there are some people that you and I would say would not get saved who, in fact, We'll get saved. And the Pharisees would look at this and say, uh, uh, this is awful, this woman getting saved. They, they didn't even think that was a good thing. But for you and I, we would say that it's a miraculous act of grace. And God would reach down in his mercy and convict this woman of her sin. She would meet the Lord Jesus Christ and express herself the way she did. Our Lord looks into her heart and forgives her of her sin and saves her for his glory and for her good. But that's not the only one. And by the way, remember, this is Dr. Luke who's recording these things. And look from where, where you are in chapter 7. Look over to chapter 18. You were in chapter 19 a moment ago with Zacchaeus. Look at chapter 18 and look at verse number 9. In Luke chapter 18, verse number 9, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Boy, that's a, that's a bad state of affairs to get into is to trust in oneself and uh, thinking in terms of your righteousness and look down on other people. 
and use the word here, despise them, or disdain them is an equal word. In verse 2 or verse 10, he said there's two men who went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. There's that publican again. seemed like Luke knew all of them and records the story, as in this case it's a parable. And there was a parable, or the parable says he was a publican, one a Pharisee. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, or are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. In verse 13, he says, And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, please remember, that's all he said. That's all he said. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And uh, do realize that this parable is told by the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is Jesus Christ's parable that he's telling. And he says, this publican just beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And verse 14, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee, the other guy, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The point I make is that, uh, first off, nobody, in fact, the Pharisee standing next door to this guy in this parable, uh, I'm sure it shocked his socks off if they wore them with their sandals. I'm sure he was stunned by the Lord saying such a thing and, and realizing it's a parable, it's a story. But I'm sure in the, the dramatization of the whole thing, this Pharisee would have been saying, are you crazy? You're, you're saving a publican, a guy who, who has this franchise to collect taxes from the Jewish people, and he gouges them, and he takes more than he should, and you're telling us that this guy comes down, and he makes this statement of God be merciful to me, a sinner, and you're saying he goes down to his house justified? Yes, because again, the Lord sees the heart. He may just see the words. You and I hear the words. We don't see the heart, and the Lord sees the heart, and the fact is that in, a, in effect of the story, he exalted this guy who was lowly and who was down and out, so to speak, and was hated of all the Jewish people. And probably they would have wanted him off their street and would not have walked by him if they had seen him there. But God looked beyond that. This publican was somebody that most people would have not believed would have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can call them hard cases or normal, usual, ordinary cases. You can call them whatever you like. But in this particular case, you had someone who most people would not have expected would have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another one, though, from where you are in chapter 18. Look all the way over to chapter 23 of Luke. In Luke chapter 23, you have the case we all are familiar with, I'm sure. And uh, this one is the thief on the cross. In chapter 23 and verse 39, the Bible says, And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other malefactor, answering, rebuked him, and saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive a due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. Uh, everybody from the time that he stood before the 
high priest, and then he stood before Pilate, and now he's on a cross, hung between two thieves. Even one of the thieves says, this man had done nothing wrong. This man has no right to be on this cross. Verse 42, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Amazing thing here. It's a thing that, that you can be assured if the, the people around who were standing before the cross heard the Lord Jesus say to him, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. They would have said to themselves, what is he thinking? I mean, remind yourself that uh, he calls them, the text does, Luke, Dr. Luke, who wrote the text, reminds us he's a malefactor. Uh, the word is kekorgos, uh, and kekorgos is a word that just means a wrongdoer, somebody who knows what the law says but pays no attention to it. He's a criminal. He's a crook. He's an evildoer. And that's what that word means in that context. And the people standing there who knew that these were thieves or crooks or criminals, they hear, if they heard Jesus say to him, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise, I'm sure they said, oh, Are you crazy? This is a crook. This guy's dying on a cross because of what he wicked acts he did. And you're telling us you're going to take this guy to paradise? Why would that happen? Because God didn't just hear his words in Christ. He sees his heart. He sees his heart. In all of these cases, it's a matter of what's in their heart, not just what they said. Let me take you to another one, only this time we get out of the book of Luke. Look, if you would, from where you are in Luke chapter 23, look all the way over to John chapter 4. This is probably one of the more famous conversions. And when we preached through the Gospel of John up to uh, when I think we took a detour when we got to chapter 10. But before that, we preached all the chapters up to uh, chapter 10. And, and uh, this was one of the more exciting chapters for me. I thoroughly enjoyed preaching through John 4. In John chapter 4, let's begin at the beginning. And it's a rather lengthy story, but it's worth our time. Listen, John chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says... He must needs go through Samaria. That's a great famous statement of the Lord Jesus. And so in verse 5, Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the, the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me a drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman to the, the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast absolutely nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and the children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. And whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water shall I, that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, Give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband, and come hither. 
The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that sayest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what, ye know that we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, and when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called the Christ. When he cometh, he will tell us all things. Watch carefully. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ, the Messiah? And then they went out of the city and came unto him in the mean, in the meanwhile his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. But he saith unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. Both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth, another reapeth. I send you to reap, that whereon, whereon you be bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors." And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I did. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and saith unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, For we have heard him ourselves and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. One of the great conversions in the New Testament, and that's why it's worthy of us reading it in its entirety. It's an amazing story of the grace of God because you have a Gentile. You know, the Samaritans were half Jew and half Gentile, and the predominance of there was other Gentiles in the area. So you have this Gentile mix and here it is, this uh, woman of Samaria was married five times and living with a man to whom she was not married. And the amazing thing is the Lord knew every bit of it. Uh, he knew every bit of this Hollywood saga. And yet, he saved this woman. He knew all about her background. He knew every bad turn, every bad decision she had made. And yet he saved her. And he not only saved her, he used her to share the gospel with the men of the Samaritan. And the fact is that when those men came out and and uh, sought to meet this man, just like Zacchaeus, they wanted to see him and wanted to hear him, 
And they got so enthralled in it, they said, why don't you stay with us a while and teach us and speak to us. The Bible says he stayed two more days. And then it was that these men, many more believed because of the words, his own word that Jesus Christ shared with them. I say this is a story of the amazing grace of God in saving people. And typically people that you would not necessarily would have expect, expected to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are some people we don't expect to be saved. The fourth thing is it's clear that there are others that will not be saved who we expected would be. That's to say, we may have even thought they were. This could go back, and I'll not read the details, I'll just remind you of it, back to the story in Luke chapter 13, you know, where these people who would talk about how what they had done and how they thought they ought to have. Uh, they had been around the Lord. They had eaten with him. They had drunk with him. Uh, he had taught in their streets. They'd been around him. And uh, they thought somehow, some way, this gained some ground. It's the same thing that Paul wrote about to the church at Titus, the people, the Christians there, when he said, They profess that they know me, but in their works they deny me. It's the same situation. It was people who would it be expected to be saved but who, in fact, were not. Uh, this is a, a great warning truth, and it is an important one, because uh, I don't say this uh, gladly, but I say in America, I think we've got a vast number of people who've made professions of faith, but uh, in their heart of hearts, there's no conversion. There's no repentance of sin. There's no turning from a lifestyle of wickedness. And what they've done is, like they do in Japan, in America, they've just added Jesus Christ to their list of gods, and they just keep on doing what they've always done. My case in point would be that the homosexual community of our, our state, uh, those people do not see anything wrong with homosexuality. That is, they don't testify to that. But yet the fact is, the Bible holds it up and condemns it straightforwardly. And yet they have homosexual churches to which they go. And their idea is they're just as saved as anybody else in the whole world. I tell you that you're, nobody goes to hell because of a, being a homosexual. That's not what sends people to hell. What sends people to hell is rejecting the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and believing on his grace. That's what sends people to hell. And that, for that reason, homosexuality is not necessarily any worse than any other sin. The problem is the homosexual community has rallied themselves in such a, a garb of righteousness that they throw out these little barbed statements to people and tell people, uh, oh, you're so righteous, you know, and they try to make us up to be Pharisees. We know better. We're not Pharisees. We're sinners saved by grace. But we do have enough biblical sense to know that you cannot keep on sinning from what God saved you from. And he does save people from their sins, not save them in their sins. And our country doesn't know that. Or if they know it, they don't practice that truth. So you cannot get saved as a homosexual and stay a homosexual. It's just not possible. The Bible does not allow for that. Any more than you can be a murderer and you can make a profession of faith in a prison cell and then you get out and you go right back to murdering people. That just doesn't fly, from a biblical standpoint, man is to be saved from his sin, not saved in his sin, so he can just keep on doing it. That's just not true. And yet that's what the world thinks, because uh, homosexuals will talk about uh, their relationship with God. 
you know, I heard uh, one the other night. And there's so many now that we, uh, you know, they're just getting everywhere. Uh, how many of you have you uh, ever watched Fox News and you, you watch the guy, uh, what's the guy on Fox News now that's come out that he's homosexual? The guy on uh, the evening or afternoon, 5 o'clock thing. Uh, that's the guy. Good old Shepherd. Acts manly and strongly and so forth, but he's homosexual. Well, he finally came out of the closet. We give him credit for fessing up. But the fact of the matter is, his attitude when you come across with something that has a lean toward uh, homosexuality, uh, Shepard can't bear himself. He just leans right there with it. Case in point, there's this family that's uh, down in, uh, I think, somewhere in Florida, and there's uh, parents who have been deported. They're from Honduras. The woman wants to stay, and she's a homosexual, and so consequently, she's raising a great fuss about that thing. Now, look, uh, I'm for people coming in who come in legitimately and fairly and correctly and rightly, but I'm not for people uh, just getting in here and expecting them to settle in and think they own the place, and especially if you bring in your sin. And so she's touting the fact that she is being discriminated against because she's a homosexual. You see the class they're trying to build for themselves? Trying to put themselves in a special class. And, and what that's doing is it's getting the world feel sorry for them on the basis of something over here when in reality they're really fighting for equality of homosexuals. I tell you, don't be suckered by the foolishness of which they speak. And the news media is as liberal and paganistic as they can be, and they point to it, push it, encourage it, and even allude to it that the homosexual churches are valuable assets to the American way of life. Hogwash. Hogwash. There's no way that you can justify their behavior looking in the Word of God. And I say to you that when, as long as we keep allowing that kind of thing to take place, uh, you're going to have people confused as a termite in a yo-yo of whether or not they can be saved and stay with their sin and live it that way. You see, in the cases I've just read to you from the book of Luke and now in the gospel of John, it's very clear these people didn't stay in their sin. Uh, those folks didn't stay in that context of how life was before. They removed themselves from it. There's a fifth thing, and I close with this one. Number five is it's clear also that no one but no one will be saved except in God's way. Let me read you a couple verses, maybe two or three. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he is yet near. And the word while in the first part of that verse in the Hebrew can be translated where. Seek ye the Lord where he may be found, and call ye upon him while he may be near. Where and while are are interchangeable in some texts of Scripture, and that's one of them. And he says, let the wicked forsake his way. You get that? You seek the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near, and the wicked person forsakes his way. And in coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is not coming to Jesus Christ and adding Jesus Christ to his uh, list of sin that he is participating in. He lays that aside. That's what repentance is. It's turning from your sin life and turning to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the life he wishes you to live. The, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon him. In Acts chapter 16:30, he said brought him brought them out and said, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" And they said, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved." That's God's way. 
John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said it and said it without stuttering. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So the Bible is crystal clear. There is one way, just one way to be saved. There's just one way to get to heaven. There's not two, there's not four, and there's not six. There's one. And that one way is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, and we come in childlike faith and repentance and accept the Lord Jesus Christ's finished work as the atonement for our sin. And in believing on him, he takes away our sin for his glory and gives us the benefit of both having salvation here and now and all the benefits that goes with it. And then one day when he calls us out of this place, we get to go home to heaven. But everybody is not going to heaven. Everybody in America is not going to heaven. Only the people who come by the way of the cross and that cross having and bearing the sacrifice for man's sins, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Muslims cannot go to heaven by virtue of the fact that Muslims say that uh, Jesus Christ was not crucified on the cross. Secondly, they say their God, Allah, does not have a son, and therefore Jesus Christ is not a Savior, he's a prophet. And they conclude that he's not a person who can save anybody. He can help people. And he's a good person, but he's not a savior. Muslims can't go to heaven because they do not accept Jesus Christ as the savior of the world. And listen to me, and listen to me good. Don't you fall into the trap among a liberal nation like we have become and to think that everybody religious is going to heaven. I mean, if they just speak the word God, and if they go around singing songs about God, that doesn't have a thing to do with whether or not they're going to heaven. Whether they're going to heaven or not is whether they have repented of their sin and believed in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ to save them from their sin. If they haven't got that, they're not going. I don't care how religious they are. I don't care if they've joined every Baptist church between here and Georgia. They're not going to heaven. And it's high time God's people took a draw a line in the sand and say there is only one way. And it's what I've said with Adrian Rogers' great quote. You run your flag up a pole and expect everybody to salute it. And you better do it about this one, because this is the one that alters where people go for eternity. What will you do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he your Savior? Have you believed on him? Have you repented of your sin, turned from your sin to the Savior? Have you done that? That's the big deal. And that's the big issue about the conversions that are set forth in the New Testament. I close this evening with that and want you to know that um, it's important for us in reading the stories in the New Testament. And next week we get back to the actual details of uh, Zacchaeus' life. And uh, I want you to hear the details because there's some things in that, that that show a more personal touch about what God does when he saves people. And I hope that you'll be here for it. For the moment, let me ask you a simple question. If you died right where you sit, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And when you say you do, if you do, if you say you do know, on what basis will you be going? Are you going because you're trying hard and you're, you're trying to obey everything that you believe the Bible teaches? Or are you going and uh, trusting Christ in his finished work alone? Uh, exactly why, what is it that makes you confident 
that when you die, you'll be able to go to heaven. What is it that you're depending on? That's the issue. And because the answer to that question will really tell you whether or not you're going or not. What are you trusting? You're trusting something that you've heard, something that you're trying to do, or something has been done for you, as in death of Christ on the cross. Whatever it is, it's a serious question with an eternal, consequent answer. You better make sure you get it right. And I hope you do. If you don't, you're in the right place. We'd be glad to talk with you. We'd be glad to help you come to a biblical solution to the question and answer and make sure you get it right the first time. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity we've had to be in your house this evening. We thank you for the music we've heard. Thank you, Father, for the request of prayer that we've received. And we thank you now for the truth of your word and uh, the stories, the biblical context of stories recorded for us and for our admonition concerning true salvation. And, Father, I thank you for these folks coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his working with them and talking with them and and, uh, the conversations that were had in these contexts. I thank you for that. And I pray now you help all of us here, one, to be certain and sure of our relationship with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be certain about that. We either know for sure we're going to heaven based on what the Bible says and what we have done in response to it, or we don't know. There's really no middle ground. So I pray this evening that you'll help all of us to ask ourselves the question, if I die right where I sit, am I certain on biblical grounds that I'll go to heaven? And, Father, if there's a person here who's not certain of that, I pray you'll help them to stay or linger behind so we can address it and deal with it and they can be sure and certain from this day forward. Pray for believers here that you'll remind us that our responsibility is not only to live for Christ and to grow and mature in our faith to reflect him, and to be Christ-like, but it's also our responsibility to be like him in that we bear witness for him, that we go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature we can and hand out tracts and give out invitations to church and do what we can to help people come to the truth, to the knowledge of the truth. And I pray, Father, that you'll remind all of us as believers who are here that we can do that this week and somebody's life might be changed forever by a simple act or work that we would do for your glory. And do always help us to do it for your glory and not for ours. Uh, Remind us that you've asked us to do it and you've paid a a, a horrible, painful price to save us. And uh, it ought to be to us our loyalty would be reflected in us doing everything we can to bring other people to know you too. Speak to our hearts about the matter and I pray that we'll glorify you this week as we go about it. And bless this invitation. May you get glory from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.